Um, if you weren't with us uh, last Sunday, you missed a treat uh, because it was the launch of our new year together. I know it's not actually a new year, but academically it always feels a little bit like a new year. And uh, we as a church for the next year are going through uh, three of these booklets that we're going to put together called Living Life Well. And the intention behind that is the vision for every single one of us that makes up this body, from the children, the youth, all doing the same thing, and actually intentionally getting to know Jesus better. And in the past, we've kind of divided our vision statement up into getting people to know Jesus and grow as his obedient followers. But actually, there's a way of condensing that that we've looked at that just says, let's get to know Jesus. Why? Because out of that, we can't help but share it. In other words, that out of our encounters with Jesus, through reading about him, through hearing his words, through actually praying together and praying on our own, there is something that changes in us that will change our community. And uh, I love one of the names that uh, Melody uh, was talking about that they've got for some of the worship time is transformers with the children. And in a sense, that's who we're called to be. That as transformation happens in us, as God changes our heart and softens our heart and changes our motives, everything changes as a result. And sometimes we can get it the wrong way around and think, oh, I must change our world, I must tell people, without actually acknowledging that God first wants to keep keep on changing us. And, and we know that we're complex people. We know we have the capacity to do damage. We know we have the capacity to do good. We know that actually we are a mystery and a muddle and a masterpiece. And as we pick up this book, as we start the year together in groups and on our own, there might already be a sense of, oh, I just don't want to set myself up to fail. You know, we might think, oh, well, it might be another thing that I just don't quite get in a busy life. But actually, that is not the heart behind this, just to reassure you. The heart behind this is out of our love for Christ that we get to know him better. And as we look at this passage, I think, I hope that we will find great challenge, but also great encouragement. We've called this, it changed lives that change lives. That actually as we change, there is transformation around us. And uh, it's important to mention this week that we had a, a funeral for Manish Sonsati. We had a Thanksgiving service for him. He was one of the senior lung transplant um, consultants and surgeons for our city. And he died aged 45 last uh, week. And we had his funeral uh, and his burial and his Thanksgiving service. And uh, for me, actually keeping on hearing from people at the hospital, hearing at the Thanksgiving about lives that he'd touched by quietly being a servant. He didn't shout it from the rooftops about faith, but even a man I was talking to at the burial side uh, under a big umbrella said there was something about Manish that in his presence we all felt calmer, that actually he exuded something of this devotion to Christ, that he would come here to serve just on the setup team quietly, and many of us didn't know what he did. 
but actually that's who he was. And the hospital are putting on a big service at the end of September because patients and doctors alike are devastated by his loss but want to give thanks for his life and for his example as well. He wouldn't have known it. If you'd asked him, he wouldn't have seen the number of people. Isn't it a shame in a way that sometimes it takes something like that for actually people to say just what an impact uh, their lives have made. At the passage start, there is very much a challenge from God through the prophet Isaiah. He kind of really has a little bit of a stir up of the people. And he says this, for day after day they seek me out and they seem apparently eager to know my ways. You know, it seems like a genuine thing. They're doing the right things. They're fasting, they're praying, and it all looks good on the outside. And he says they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. And then they say, well, why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? In other words, they're saying, Lord, we're doing the right things, but you've not come through for us. We've fasted about a particular thing and you haven't done what we've asked. And I love that bit in the video where it says, my soul is caved towards myself, is curved towards me. And I think that's kind of what the prophet is saying. That he's saying all of your devotion is, is to serve you still. You're fasting because you want to, to God to do this and you're telling him what you want him to do. And I resonate with that. I know there are times when I've prayed and I've really felt, well, God, you haven't done what I want, so I'm going to throw all my toys out of the pram because I prayed and fasted and you didn't do it. But that was because I was telling God what I thought he should be doing. And the prophet is saying, if you're devoted to me, I get to decide what happens and I will change your heart so that actually even the things that you desire and the things that you pray for will be different, will be in line with my will and my justice. And he's doing it lovingly because he can see their heart. It's not all condemnation, but he paints a picture that says, do you want to be like a well-watered garden? Do you want to be a repairer of broken walls? Because that's my heart for this city. That's my heart for your people. That's my heart for you. And when we think of prayer, and that's one of the things we're going to be exploring in all the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that we're exploring together, um, I love this Kierkegaard quote that I stumbled on this week that says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. That actually, even if our outcomes are not what we thought they would be, the very act of us praying, God loves. He loves our devotion to him. He loves our relationship with him. We've put this in the uh, booklet, but this is a great quote to encourage us. Prayer is not something we master, but it's an act that forms us. It's a friendship we deepen. It's a practice that frees us. In other words, prayer is not religion, it's relationship. It's reciprocal, and it can be fun. You know, God's saying to his people, wake up because there's delight for you on the Sabbath. There's enjoyment for you, and we do not want the start of this year for it to be a guilt trip. That's not what this is about. It's about delighting. It's about adventuring together. Linda had a picture for us over the summer as a church about all of us in a big van on a kind of holiday and it's a bit like some of the Indian vans. We're all hanging on for dear life and people are, are hanging off it, but we're journeying together. 
And at that time, I don't think she knew quite that we were doing this. But actually, I think that resonates with me, that that's a picture. We're on a journey, and we're hanging on, and we're at different stages. But God's saying across all the sites, Word of Hands, Bourneville, Mosley, we're journeying together. And won't it be amazing in a year's time when we say, do you know what, we have got to know God better, and out of that we've seen transformation, rather than just let's go out and try harder. It's out of our delight, it's out of our joy. And as the passage goes on, in verses 13 and 14, we have this. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath day a delight, there's that word again, if you call the Sabbath day a delight, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And Sabbath is a tricky world. We know it. We know it from the Old and the New Testament. But at this point, God is saying, I want you to delight in me. I don't want your duty. I want your delight. And he sees their duty and he's saying, I want your delight in your resting in me. I want it to be enjoyable for you. His heart is that actually once we begin to enjoy him more, his presence, his peace, his reassurance, his protection, that actually our heart begins to change and change for the better. I was sharing in first service a slightly embarrassing thing in that there's a guy who lives down my road who will not say hello to me. And I see him regularly because my car is parked at the end uh, right near his house and I walk along and, and I say, hi. <laughs> and he literally doesn't respond. I mean, he just doesn't flicker. And, and when I've lived there now for about nine years and I think he's been there pretty much that time. And after a few attempts over a period of time, I was so mortified. I thought, I'm just going to have to stop saying hello because it's so embarrassing and just maybe walk by and hide behind my hair. Um, and because I just felt offended. I felt a bit cross. I thought, you know, why? You know, I'm not that terrible. I'm not frightening. Why won't he say hello to me? You know, we're a neighbour. And I, I just felt, you know, a prompt from God, I don't know, but it, it was just a prompt to actually to keep on doing it, to just keep on saying hello even if he totally blanks me. Because I don't know, he may be socially really nervous, he may be incredibly shy, he may just not like me. <laughs> there are all those reasons that actually might be stopping him from saying hello. But it was a small example that I thought of this week, that if prayer is about what we get back, then it's a nonsense, really. If my saying hello and greeting is all about how it makes me feel, that's not the point. You know, there may be a whole host of pain in that man that is the reason why he doesn't, or he just might find me a really annoying neighbour. We don't know. <laughs> Jury's out, maybe. Um, but actually, as we pray, it changes us. As we pray, it changes our heart. As we pray, it changes the way that we view the city. And as we read scripture, it does the same. As some of you know, um, I went to uh, South Korea and the border with North Korea in May this year. And there, what is absolutely humbling is that they will have a scrap of scripture that the North Koreans managed to find. It could be through the balloon launches that are happening legally into the um, area of North Korea and people are getting tiny bits of scripture to learn to chew on and the delight that they have and the delight that we have from the defectors that say I found a piece of scripture that led me to God one piece from a river dropped in 
in a plastic container. One tiny strip of the puzzle, if you like. We've got the whole thing. And not only that, but we know how it ends. <laughs> you know, they don't. If you get a scrap of it and you've not been taught it, and, and Chairman Kim is distorting the gospel, he's the centre of it. So how amazing that they still find Christ, they still find hope through a fragment. And uh, Reverend Foley, who writes a lot and is one of the chief people at the moment going into North Korea with the gospel, says, we have got all the puzzle pieces and the puzzle piece lid, you know, the lid that gives you the picture for the jigsaw, but they are tightly clutching at times to one single folded puzzle piece inside a trembling yet reverently closed hand. They know and worship and trust the puzzle maker in ways I have yet to find. With my comparative wealth and freedom, I am often too wrapped up in far too many of my own puzzles to see the only one that truly matters. Uh, you know, that humbles me. And I have to say, um, being in, in the, the, the borderlands and being with defectors from North Korea really has re kindled my passion for God's word and I want to say not in a guilt trip just in a way that if they're that passionate about a tiny scrap that they manage to get that will risk their life for you know and you read in stories that where people are risking their lives to go to prayer gatherings there's something in us that has made us cave in to self that our faith and our religion much like the Isaiah 58 passage has become about do what I want you to do God for me if you're spiralling now, here's the good news, okay? Because some of us are on a guilt trip right now, okay? And thinking, oh, no, the North Koreans are so brilliant and we're so terrible. That's not what we're thinking here. Because look at the New Testament. Who is it that Jesus chooses to be the start of transformation in the New Testament? It's Peter. Peter, how do we know him? From stuff up after stuff up, denial, getting it wrong, being overly exuberant, trying to cut off it, all sorts of things that he has got wrong. So why is it then that Jesus says, you're going to be the start of this transforming movement that we're all part of today? And what does he ask him? He doesn't ask him how many good things have you done. He doesn't ask how much have you fasted and prayed. He doesn't say how many times have you honoured the Sabbath. He says, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter's just, you know, outraged. He says, you know I love you. You know, why would we have been doing all of this together? He says, you know I love you. And so Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. If, if you like, the delight that Peter has is born out of what? Mercy. Grace. He knows that he is the one that got it all wrong. And he cannot believe that he's chosen to be the transformer. <coughs> and that's the same for you and I. We know we're not obvious choices for transformation. But because of this mercy, because no matter how many times we've got things wrong... He's looking at our hearts and saying, do you love me? That's the prerequisite for transformation. Not duty, but delight. Joy in his word. Joy in his company. Joy in his presence. I read this a little bit at Community Group on Thursday night where we were exploring together 
how we'd love to see change in our lives. And we were very honest about some of our struggles with that, very honest about some of the times that we do think, well, we're just setting ourselves up to fail. Whereas actually, what the heart of this is, is let's grow deeper in our love for Christ, in our dependence on him. And things will start to change in incredible ways. Ted Lodis says this, our prayer is to change, O oh God, not out of despair of self, but for love of you. And I really like that because I think that's where we're different from the world. There are many self-help programs, including in North Korea, weekly people meet for self-improvement. And Chairman Kim is trying to get everybody to change, to follow him, to be more like him. And he's trying to do the try harder thing. Whereas actually, that's not going to create lasting change. If you and I feel guilty, and we've all done the New Year's resolution things, guilt is not a good permanent driver in itself. It isn't. But mercy is. That as we receive mercy... Our heart wants justice for those around us because we know we didn't deserve this. We certainly know we don't deserve his love, his kindness, his goodness, and yet we found it and he's found us. And actually then when we look at his world, what a privilege to be a repairer of broken walls. What a privilege to sit in that well-watered garden and just have Sabbath with him. Just be in his company together so that we are transformed. And like Manish and like many others that have gone before us, to be able to make a difference, not always with our words, not always with what we say and do, but just being company with people, being present with people and carrying his spirit with us. One of the reasons I finally gave in to ask for the gift of praying in tongues, I was very nervous about it. I thought it was weird. I, re I, I really didn't want to, to ask for the gift even. And somebody challenged me in my life and said, I really believe you need this gift. And I thought, well, I, I think God has enough of me going on in one language. <laughs> He's not likely to give me many more. Um, but actually, that has served me so well. When, my, when I cave in, and my prayers become about me and why God hasn't done this for me. I can lose heart. But actually, as we use the spiritual language, as we use the different gifts that we have, we actually can be strengthened in thinking, actually, God, you are way higher. You are mysterious, but you are good. And we don't even know exactly what we're praying, but we do know that it's a heavenly spiritual language that makes us look at the world differently. And that's not a coincidence, that's a gift. And maybe you, you would like to pray for that gift this year as part of this getting to know Jesus more. It's, it's not the only spiritual gift, but it is one that helps us uh, as, we, as we worship him. Our prayer is to change, O oh God, not out of despair of self, but out of love for you. And one of the quotes that I really, really resonate with in this uh, booklet is this, uh, and it really helps us when we think, oh, I've got to be super Christian to look at this. It is not our job to be amazing for Jesus. It is our job to be amazed by Jesus. You know, the, the pressure we can put on ourselves in today's world is I've just got to be amazing because you know I know some brilliantly kind and wonderful colleagues and people and I've just got to be even better than them I've got to be even kinder than them even more patient than them and that's not what this is about it's saying if you are amazed by Jesus 
You will reflect him, you will share him, and you cannot help but share what he has done. You can't. When we had the healing of Nikki's dad as a result, or partly as a result of the prayer gathering, nobody could stop me talking about it. In fact, Julian tried at one point. But, but genuinely, no, because why we, we want to share it? Because we say, God, you've done this. You're the God of the New and the Old Testament, and we have seen you do a miracle. And it's mysterious, but we can't help but say, because we're amazed by him. And actually, as, as life gets tough and we get concave again, we, we look at prayer the wrong way. We think that fasting is about twisting God's arm behind his back and saying, do this for me and I'll love you. But actually, when we say, Lord, I love you, I don't understand you. I don't understand why he took Manish. I found it an incredibly difficult funeral to speak at. But actually, the glory that shone out of his life and continues to is a beautiful thing that amazes people, that Christ in him has amazed people and that he now is with him uh, eternally. I'd like the band to come up uh, again and I'm going to call us to respond uh, in a certain way to this. That as we look at what Isaiah 58 is about, there is a sense that God's loving them enough to say, you've got this bit wrong. <laughs> Your hearts have got slightly diverted towards a faith that is self-serving. And he says, lift up your heads. Faith is not self-serving. Faith is serving the Christ, the risen Christ. And actually, as we do that, as we're amazed by him, as we're full of his love, where our love will run out, incidentally, our patience will run out. Our compassion will run out. But as we daily look at his word, as we pray together, maybe we learn just one verse of scripture and say it on the way to work, if that's all we can do. We will be changed by it. We will and are going to be changed by it. So I'd like us just to be quiet for a moment. And then the band are going to begin a song. And uh, maybe just to think about, am I still really amazed? that Christ has conquered death for me? Am I really so amazed that he would show me the grace and mercy to make me pure and free from sin? And out of that mercy, how can I see this world that I long to change through his grace and through his